Welcome back for episode 37 of Self-Signed Artist. Everybody's always talking about finding a unique sound. Well, our guest today has done it. Twice. For his own band and for artists he develops. We're talking to Richie Vikander of Fire From The Gods. You're listening to Self-Signed Artist, the podcast that helps independent musicians run their brand like a business. Now, your hosts, Kobe Nelson and Jake Mannix. How's it going, everybody? I'm Kobe Nelson. And while I was putting together this episode, I realized I don't know why I say that every single episode. Like, (laughs) I introduce both of us as if people who are listening to this don't know who we are. You know who we are. But I'm going to keep saying it anyways every episode, (laughs) uh, just in case you're new. If you're new, I'm Kobe, and I'm here with my co-host, Jake Mannix. Hello, hello. Jake, how have you been? What are you up to? I've been all right. Um, I'm reporting today from a garage in L.A., the weather is so nice here. It's like I'm in a fever dream 24 <laughs> seven. Uh, and that's about it. That's about all the updates I got. How about you, man? How are you doing? Pretty good. Been been working on my business a lot this past week. I started with the mastermind group that I was talking about a couple episodes ago. So meetings are going with that. And I don't know, I'm just feeling really pumped up about everything pumped up about 2021. And things are just exciting at the moment. So Um, it's good. Awesome. So for our episode today, for everybody tuning into this, I think you're going to like this episode that we have lined up. This one's going to have a little bit of something for everybody because our guest is number one in a very successful band. Number two, very involved in just the music industry on on a more business side of things. And number three, in the process of developing an unsigned artist right now. So we are very excited to welcome to the podcast, Richie Vikander. How's it going, Richie? Hey, doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for doing this. This is going to be really good. I have a lot of things that I want to talk to you about today, and I think we're going to cover a lot of stuff that's going to be really helpful to our audience. So Awesome. So before we kind of jump into the things I want to ask you about from your experience in a band and also your experience working with other artists. Can you just give us a little bit of a a background for how you got into music in the first place, how you kind of got started playing drums and and working in studios and stuff like that? Definitely. So I guess my background as, uh, you know, to start off, I I grew up in, in Germany, close to Frankfurt. So, you know, not a very popping music scene over there. (laughs) So I kind of always knew, okay, you know, something's going to have to be a little bit more out of the ordinary to, to kind of get through all of the noise. And, you know, I've been playing in bands since I was about maybe nine or 10, got together with some of my friends back then. And I actually started with guitar. That was my first instrument. Mm. I always sang and played. And um, yeah, so that kind of got me into playing and and just always wanting to play. Eventually, a friend of mine lost interest on his drum kit and let me borrow it and then kind of just stayed at my house (laughs) uh, for several years until I finally moved to uh, San Antonio, Texas, uh, about 10 years ago or so. And... A year after being there, I moved up to Austin, and that's where 
kind of everything started to flourish and fall into place in the musical sense. So I, I went to the Art Institute of Austin for the audio production program that they had. And, you know, we're really lucky, had a lot of great professors, um, Liz Fausak, who used to, uh, she worked with uh, Snoop Dogg for a while and like just just a lot of really cool people to work with. Mark Sariski, who's he's worked on some crazy records, um, including Celine Dion, and, and he was like the head of audio. So he was always, you know, he kind of saw the hustle. I, I booked the studio every single slot that was available. I hated being at my tiny apartment. So, <laughs> you know, I, I was just kind of gung-ho to to be in this crazy studio. And, and it was a really nice one. We had a great live room, two kind of like ISO rooms, and then a, a very nice control room with a, an SSL duality, all the outboard gear you could dream of, uh, you know, the nice clocks, great computer, all the, the bells and whistles, basically. Mm. But of course, when you start in that, you're a little overwhelmed uh, as well. <laughs> yeah, so, sure. I've been there. <laughs> for me, I, I, I always, you know, I was super into engineering because I, I, at the age of 14, I did an internship at my um, best friend's dad's studio. And, uh, you know, he uh, let me kind of just get into it. And from that point, I knew that engineering was something I really wanted to get into because A... I could save a lot of money by recording my own bands and then B also, you know, possibly have a, an actual career because obviously music is a gamble. It's like mm. everyone knows it's it's going to be tough and you got to work really hard to achieve what you want to achieve. But yeah, so then after a while, uh, once school was done and at towards the end of that and just kind of living the cave life for several <laughs> years straight, I was missing playing and I started, uh, I did some live sound stuff too through that program and that was fun, but it really just was never for me. I liked being on stage more than like being the guy that's getting yelled at when something's whistling <laughs> in the room. <laughs> so um, I decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to get out and play again too and and kind of get that going. I, I was playing with, with this one guy and, and he was kind of in that like warp tour scene. He was tour managing a day to remember and like was connected. So I, I saw something there and, and kind of grabbed onto it. We wrote a bunch of songs, we hit it off. And, and that's really for me, it was always songwriting first and then the engineering and the playing. Mm. So that kind of fizzled out with him. And then eventually after a few years of not playing again, then we got back together in a band and that band's manager was also working with fire from the gods so both bands at the same time kind of lost members so the band i was in hero in me we totally it was over and then i joined fire from the gods i was playing guitar in hero in me and then the band was like, oh, we're actually just looking for a drummer. And I was like, well, hey, I, I play drums too. I'd love to play drums. So I went in and, you know, sort of kind of auditioned. It was, we already kind of hit it off. So it was a good vibe and, and we just kept practicing from there on out. And then all of a sudden we were like going on the, the worst tours you could think of, you know, <laughs> playing in front of two people, 10 people, <laughs> 
yeah, wherever. But we went, we went out, and I think that's like Dave Grohl always says it too. You have to get out there and play. It doesn't matter to how many people. It's just if you play in front of ten people, those ten people will remember that that show. And hey, if half of them go home and and cop your CD or you know at that time that sounds old now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if they stream you, you know, or right. check you out or whatever, then that's an accomplishment that you're not doing via Facebook ads or you know the other the other aspects of all of this this whole industry that you just don't think about when you're just like trying to go play. Then another, I'd say maybe about a year passed and we got a deal with Rise Records and we connected here uh, at the studio that I'm sitting at currently, Black Book Sound, with Robert Joyner, Robbie Joyner, who you've met and worked with, of course. Yep. And uh, yeah, and then we came to the house aloud and made a record. Yeah, and that's where where our paths cross. So so yeah, I, I got the privilege of working as an engineer on uh, your record, Narrative, uh, which came out on Rise Records. Since then, you've put out another record, American Sun. Like you said, you've done a bunch of touring, much bigger tours now. You're not playing for two people anymore. Um, Of course, until this past year where, yeah, the whole touring industry kind of fell apart for obvious reasons. So you were talking about how being an artist as like a career can feel like a bit of a gamble. So that's part of the reason you got into studio things as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've now done both things successfully. So as far as like the band side of things goes and, and doing music as a career, would you say that the biggest lesson that you've learned about how to make that happen is playing shows? Or do you think there was something else that was a, a big lesson that drove you to where you are? For me, it definitely was a big part of it. I can't say that it works for everyone. You know, I think if you're really trying to be in a band and also produce or engineer, it can go hand in hand because of the networking power. So on tours, you know, connecting with your peers, the other bands that you're touring with, connecting with the industry people. Okay, you're playing a show in New York hit it hard, you know, and that honestly, that part led me to currently my other job, which is I work in the A&R department at BMG in publishing. So not the recorded side, right. but I work with songwriters and a lot of really great bands, you know, uh, some bands like Killswitch, Ghost, Mastodon, Maynard, uh, the list is is very long, but Basically, point I'm making is that that networking that I got out of it, that that was so valuable. And that's something you just, it's hard to get when you're not moving around all over the place. Right. You know, the other way to do it is make yourself move, which you totally can. And, uh, you know, even off of tour, I've taken trips out to LA, taken trips out to wherever somebody is that I want to connect with. And maybe there's an opportunity to get into a writing session or even just to go have lunch with somebody. You know, the the next time you meet them, you might be in Nashville and then you're in a studio. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think it was a, a really big part of of my network and creating that and, and creating friendships too with, you know, the guys like in of mice and men and 
Born of Osiris guys. I just like the volumes guys. There's a lot of lot of guys that in all these bands that also do what I'm doing and produce. And then, you know, once they're home, they, they work on other stuff. And yeah, that's definitely a thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that's really interesting, actually, and something that we haven't really talked much about on this podcast, but it's a really, really good point. I mean, we always talk about touring shows and everything uh, as from the standpoint of like connecting with fans and like that of course is a huge part of it but i think that that idea of connecting with your peers may even be more important just because that's the kind of thing that leads to like you said other opportunities other tours that you can go on other people who have had similar experiences that you can bounce ideas off of it's kind of like it becomes more of this like family of idea trading and stuff like that when it comes to a, a business as a band. Absolutely. Who do you think has been the biggest influence on the trajectory of the band so far? Is there a, another band you can point to or a producer or, or any industry person? Um, Man, there's so many influences. I think collectively we, we're just really diverse. We take a lot of influences from different areas. Our singer being, you know, part Jamaican, grew up half in London, some in Ghana, some in Brooklyn, you know, and really living in New York for a while. Now he's down in Texas with us. You know, he uh, he has a very diverse background. And then I think with his musical influences, which are, I mean, he's, a, he's definitely a metalhead, you know. Mm. And he loves to scream and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I think with, with when he joined our band and, and got into it, I love big choruses and I like I love singing. You know, I I love metal too, but my influences kind of come more from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, 311, Rage Against the Machine, Nirvana was massive. I like my first band was called Anavrin, which is Nirvana backwards. <laughs> and guess what we did? We covered only Nirvana songs, you know. I was like 10 years old. That's, you know, what, what else would I have done, I guess? Um, but yeah, I mean, we, I don't think there's one specific influence. And, and I think that's kind of what we, we draw influence from diversity. We, we try to just every track to be different. It's so hard for us to be like, we're doing a metalcore record or we're doing this song or let's rip on this it's kind of like I, I remember like one song uh, composition for instance I, I listened to a rick ross song and i was like man these keys are dope and then i just laid down a progression that was you know somewhere in those lanes and then you know the, the other guy grabs the guitar and starts playing like a, a high gain chorus riff over it and then you had the song kind of, you know, it's like put a hardcore verse. I don't know why it just happened. <laughs> what about from like a, a business standpoint? Is there any person who has really changed the course of your guys's career overall? I think I think there are a few. I definitely think that coming to you guys back in the day, Bendeth as well, mm -hmm. you know, being as hard as he is. That was, for me, very beneficial because I didn't take it as like, oh man, you know, I, I couldn't like, I couldn't perform to his standards or whatever. It was just like, you know, damn, I, I need to sit down and like get better at all these things that were pointed out. And that was huge for me. I think um, 
same for Robbie, same for the rest of the band, you know, not all of the band was able to be there and that was quite difficult too, mm. but that was big. I think also the opportunities that came via BMG were really great. So, uh, you know, shout out to, to Emi Horikawa, my boss there now, but, you know, she put us together with different writers and eventually led us to working with Eric Ron on the second record. And we had a really, really good time too. It was, it was easy. It was like very vibey and, and just a good time out in LA. Totally different than, you know, being out in New York in the cold winter, you know, and <laughs> and uh, it, it was Christmas and everyone's not home for Christmas, but working right. on a record and stressed out because <laughs> we literally had like a week to prepare for that entire record right like we, we we sat here for seven days and cranked out like 10 instrumentals <laughs> and had like two or three other full songs but i remember getting to bendith's and presenting those and he was like so uh you guys have more than like two or three songs <laughs> <laughs> so you know it, it's just that's kind of how it goes sometimes and it's funny, I feel like we do work really well under pressure as a band because of that. And myself, personally, also, I, I like that pressure. It's it's weird. It's just like when you know that, okay, here's the opportunity and you sit yourself down and just say, hey, okay, I've really got to do this now and give it my all in everything that I possibly can. And then also, you know, if I know, okay, whomever I'm working with, keep those strong points that they have, keep those in mind because... Sometimes you can leave those up to the next person. You know, if you're if you're writing or being produced, you know, maybe not. Don't worry about the mix while you're coming up with a a, a guitar riff. You know, or mm -hmm. like so. Yeah. So I, and now you're kind of doing like you mentioned you're you're working at BMG. So you're kind of doing the other side of things where you're not working as the artist yourself, but you're helping to develop other artists. One interesting thing that I noticed about you guys that I want to just mention really quick before we get into the the BMG stuff is that you guys, for a while at least, at least pre-COVID, you were kind of split up over the entire country. Like you were in New York for a lot of the time. Most of the guys were in Texas still. And somehow you guys were still able to operate as a band. And I've, I've actually noticed this about some of the other bands that we've talked to on this podcast, too. So, for example, uh, Young Culture, who we talked to pretty recently, uh, and Similar Kind, both of them have similar situations where they're, like, spread out. And I've been kind of curious about that. How do you manage to keep a band dynamic going strong over that distance? Is it just a lot of travel? It is a lot of traveling. But also, I think if you're, you know, because we really went hard, we were on the road pretty much all the time. So mm -hmm. I would be in New York maybe a month max. So it was a home base, but you weren't like spending a lot of time there. Exactly. Yeah. I was just renting a room, you know, go to the office when I'm there. And when I'm on tour, I'm with the guys and we've, I think, spent the time practicing and dialing it in before so prior to kind of like when the touring cycles happened we had that time to kind of really get comfortable with each other and then anytime before a tour i mean I'll, you know i'd fly in for maybe like five days we have few rehearsals and then go for it but it also kind of you know in a good way puts pressure on you to practice by yourself and i think there's a big difference of practice and rehearsal yeah because you should 
always practice as a musician, always, all the time, every day, at least pick up the sticks or the pick or whatever and go for it, play your band songs. Then when you get together, you're already ready to go, but you just kind of all dial it in and get the show ready. Right. I'm so, so glad you said that, actually. We we actually did an episode on that idea exactly, practice versus rehearsal oh, and nice. how important that is. So you heard it from him, somebody who <laughs> knows what he's talking about better than I do. Practice and rehearsal are different. And yeah, it, that's that's super, super important. So I'm glad you brought that up. I, I do want to talk about your work uh, with BMG also. So for our, our listeners who may not be familiar, BMG is... It's bigger than just a like a publishing house or a, a record label. It's kind of everything. It's like a global music company, the uh, Bertelsmann Music Group. So it yeah it has a publishing company, a record label. They do syncs for film and TV, and pretty much anything that has to do with music, they offer it. And they also have a huge, huge, huge list of some of the biggest artists in the world that they work with which I'm not even going to begin to start listing. You already mentioned some of them, but look it up if you if you haven't heard of BMG. So that seems like a really cool place to work. Can you tell me a little bit more about your role there and, and what types of things you're you're doing day to day for them? Definitely. So as I said, uh, I work in the A&R department, so we deal with artists directly setting up sessions, you know, connecting the dots so to say. So it's you know, I, I did listen into one episode of yours and I overheard, you know, the importance of, well, how much creative input should a record label versus the artist or it during a record, how much creative input does one want or need? And the, that answer that I heard is very true. It's it's dependent on the artist and how much they can do by themselves. And, and then sometimes they reach out and do want to get connected with different songwriters, you know, to kind of get those different flavors put together. And it, it can really, it can create music that you would have never, ever thought of creating in that way. And again, it's another way to connect with your peers. So that's really a benefit of a publisher is that, you know, if you have a, a good good publisher, good A&R that you can connect with and you know, just be very transparent. Hey, I love this producer's sound. I know you guys work with him. Can you get me in with him? And and maybe, you know, if you have another few writers in mind, like that's basically what we do. So my day-to-day is definitely, there's a lot of hours of Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> and, you know, but that's, it's a massive part of it too, I think. And like, even in the studio business for myself and, and the band too, it's, being organized is key. If you are not organized with what you're doing, everything can just crumble and fall apart so quickly because you don't know what happened when, where, why, you know, and those are the things that if you can open a spreadsheet that tells you all of those answers, like it helps. Mm. So that's kind of, you know, a, a lot of the things that are dealing with, you know, splits and uh, making sure that you know, the writers are taken care of and that things are transparent and fair. But other than that, it's really setting up sessions and doing a lot of creative work with uh, sync and licensing as well, especially in the rock world, because that's what I deal with. I don't deal with really like hip hop artists or pop artists via BMG. It's really very specific rock, a lot of, you know, metal bands like 
I was talking about earlier. And then Rise Records is also a part of BMG on the master side of things. So some of those artists we also work with on the publishing, but not all. You know, so it's interesting and it's really again it's it's a way for me to network and i've also you know benefited uh, some songwriting sessions and connecting with other writers connecting with people like eric ron who's also bmg writer and producer and i've done some some sessions with keith wallen who's a really fantastic writer he plays guitar now in uh, breaking benjamin so you know there there are a lot of benefits that come from really have being in that side of it. And uh, it's funny, I, you know, you'll kind of always think of it as like, it's this scary machine, you know, but <laughs> it's just a bunch of music lovers that want to help and organize your your music and, and make sure that everything's taken care of. Make sure that you can get some opportunities in sync and licensing and get on an ad or something. And, and in rock, especially, it's quite hard. It's not a, a given. Most of the time, it's something like, Oh, well, the uh, producer of the show really loves this band, has a poster of them in his office. So he might reach out because simply he just likes it and is thinking, oh, maybe the scene would be cool to have this, you know, riff or something. But obviously everyone knows most of the ad world and, and movies and trailers, it's mainly not rock music. So right. it, it's quite hard, you know, but we go at it and we we really try and keep these bands kind of in the sync teams world and and in their inboxes and stuff and so that's kind of you know what we do so has something like this always been a goal of yours or how did you land yourself in this in this position at bmg i don't have a clear answer i think honestly coming back to what i said earlier is the networking so anytime i was in new york i made it a thing to meet emmy meet with my boss and you know it was like hey we're have we have a show would love if you came out and you know those shows were usually pretty small as well and it you know wasn't glamorous or anything but it was sitting down and having lunch and and connecting and talking about what you're doing and i think also i have a very kind of positive mindset with music and and it is really everything that i've got i don't have a plan b i don't think there needs to be one and i love all the aspects i think the business is just as important as me setting up this pro tool session you know for the podcast or picking up the guitar every once in a while to you know, keep my skills going for the writing of it or getting on my kit and practicing for the tours. It, it's all just as important. I can't stress that enough that just researching and, and even educating oneself in the business side of things is is super important. So it sounds like it sounds like it wasn't even a, a thought that or a decision you had to make. It sounds like it was kind of a, a natural progression into that spot. Yeah, to be honest, I, I got a call and I was offered a, a temp position essentially and I just got into it and and I just did it. I took the opportunity and then I, you know, worked hard and, and eventually, you know, got the full time position and stuff and, and balancing being on tour and, and doing this, it, it's it takes a lot of discipline and even when you're tired, it's like 
2 a.m. I just played a gig, tore down my drum kit. I'm probably still sweaty, maybe <laughs> didn't even shower, but I got to crank out these emails, you know? <laughs> so it, it's it's a grind, but it's I, I love it. It's part of this whole world, I think. It's just if, if you put in those extra hours, it, it'll pay off in any way, you know, even... The producing or if you're writing a song you put in those extra few hours in the the wee hours of the morning and you're just like can barely see and you don't even know if anything sounds good anymore but you're still you know sitting there putting changing midi notes and and eventually you pass out i think it all it all it all matters you know those extra few hours they matter that's awesome yeah that's what jake's doing right now he's out there in la Soaking it all in, like putting <laughs> yes. it all in the hours, all hours. day. Yep. <laughs> awesome. I mean, you know exactly what that's like too at, at the house allowed. I mean, we would leave and you're still there several hours and then you're there before us yeah. the next day, you know? <laughs> For so. sure. Yeah. There were definitely some some long hours in that position, but so, so fun. I had such a good time doing that and uh, yeah. making a record with you guys. So. If you really love music, I mean, that's the thing that I find kind of funny about like the idea of putting in extra hours is at the end of the day, like, yes, it's sometimes hard in the moment to do, I don't know, stuff like that, like keep going when you are tired and kind of want to go home. But at the end of the day, like you love music, that's why you're doing what you're doing. So I I don't look back on any of those times when I thought like, oh my gosh, this sucks right now (laughs) with like a bad feeling like I look all, back on all that stuff as like the best times <laughs> so it's kind yeah, of funny totally so one of the big things that you're doing now like you said is is working with artists and and developing artists I think this is kind of like right up the alley for pretty much every single one of our listeners who are trying to develop themselves as artists mm-hmm. can you give us a bit of a rundown of what that really means to you to to develop an artist like what types of things go into doing that i think the first part is the songwriting and kind of dialing in a sound dialing in something unique and then it depends you know i mean there is like a difference of okay some artists want to kind of live in the underground world and but most of what i work with i I like the commercial aspect of music. I like the the symmetry and big hooks and and I am a very big fan of contemporary and modern production and trap music, pop music, Latin, you know, drill, all that stuff that's really popping off right now. And I think so if you're, you know, going for that, which I always try and push for with any artist that comes my way, it's it's a balance of that and something unique so it's like dialing in that sound and then then comes all the the not so fun stuff <laughs> which is you know spending the hours creating fan base and creating content that people can attach with so one of these artists that Robbie and I work with uh, Nate Vickers he is a uh, a singer here in Houston and it's it's been quite a ride. Robbie actually found him on YouTube doing covers. And after a while, he got him in and there was a band that was being formed. So then we got him into this band. And he has a great voice all around, like from, you know, he can do the gritty stuff, the Linkin Park stuff, the the screams. He, he kind of had like that voice. And so we we're like, okay, cool. And then we did a bunch of songs 
the band didn't really work out just because of the members, but he was very, you know, had a strong mindset of like, I want to keep doing this no matter what, if it's a band or or not. So then he came to Robbie and said, hey, I want to do a pop song or, you know, a little hip hop, like R&B pop. So they did a track and I really liked the track. And I said, hey, you know, why don't we uh, do a, a proper music video? So I connected with uh, Ryan Watanabe. He's a film director and he's kind of, you know, he's he's touring, he's doing his things kind of in the same position as all of us, you know, and kind of like coming up and, and really going for it. So I said, hey, let's hit him up. His work's really great. Let's get some visuals going and let's see where that takes us. So we flew out to LA. I had just played a show in Mexico. So I, I met him in LA and it, you know, comes right back to just, just make yourself go. Yeah. And, uh, so we went, did that, we got a visual and then it, it's been a slow grind with that, trying to figure out where do you even start? I'm like totally like a rock guy that never did anything for, you know, in that kind of pop world of, in the ways of producing or creating or sort of managing, you know, I, I wouldn't call myself any of it at that point. And then eventually it turned into, okay, we did like two more songs and started writing more. And that's where it comes back to just like dialing in the sound. And it took us a while and it's been like all of 2020, we stacked up. We just noticed that you really have to keep the content coming and don't, put too many breaks between because you know you see it so so quickly on Spotify for instance you drop a song you wait 2 to 3 months your monthly listeners can go from 10k right back down to 400 people and that's not good you know so you still want it to be obviously quality it's not quantity over quality but it's quality with quantity i think in this unsigned world that does do the trick in, in a way. And then with the right marketing, which we're still dialing it in, you know, it's a hard thing to figure out, especially with all the algorithms changing and apps updating. And then, oh, this feature is completely gone or Google <laughs> ads just restructured over the holidays. So now having to figure out, how, well, how do we pinpoint your fans? And and he specifically, he uh, Nate has a a decent following on his Instagram. He has, has you know, I think like 20,000 followers now and his YouTube is growing a lot. He drops a lot of covers that get good attention. But, you know, the second you drop something original, it's really, it's hard to get that into people's ears. And mm. so that's what we're currently dialing in. But we have one song coming out every month. And I think that may have been a little bit Russ inspired because, you know, his model, it's just, you know, he, he's, he's fallen. He's, he's been doing it for years and years and years and uh, finally started popping off like crazy. And now he's, he's his own guy. And I think he recently signed to a label finally, but with certain contingencies and, you know, that's, I think that's really cool. It's really a, a great example to look at at is that kind of Russ model because he actually did it. Yeah. You know, he's he's making good money. He's and he's in it for the music and he's able to do what he's always wanted to do. And that's just awesome. So we're kind of just like, all right, let's try it. One song every month. 
We spent a lot of time, the three of us, Robbie, Nate, and myself, creating, producing, writing. You know, it's it's the lyrics too that are super important to connect to kids and our age people and people that like this, you know, new wave of music. And yeah, dialing in the Spotify, dialing in YouTube and keeping the content coming and us really busting our asses to learn how to to mix and master that style of music too, right. kind of coming from rock, you know, it, it's it's a lot cleaner. So it's <laughs> it's it's a lot harder, but man, when it sounds good, it hits so nicely, you know? And mm. so there's that aspect of it too. And on our end as producers, it's like making sure that we can take it home and don't again have to outsource for mixing and mastering when we can just, you know, help him grow and then eventually all benefit from those hours being put in. Yeah. So it sounds like you guys really have a hand in everything for an artist that you're you're developing. That's part of developing. You're you're building up every part of their business. I think it's kind of interesting too and I'd be curious to to see what you think about this. How music is such a personal thing to a lot of people. Like it's it, it really comes from a personal place. How do you think most artists handle that from the development standpoint? I, I imagine it's sometimes difficult to sort of steer the ship if there's something that you th- see that could be uh, a, a really good opportunity. Is there ever is there, is there ever times when when people kind of bump up against that and push back a little bit uh, for for creative reasons? Honestly, we've had just a really smooth ride. We kind of know to trust each other. I think. Like I said, you know, there was kind of a history already with him specifically. So there was a lot of trust. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he is a, a good songwriter in the sense of he knows like what he wants to appeal to and, and who and how. It's kind of we're all dialing it in together then, you know. And, and I think that's kind of the job as a producer right. is to really figure out how to dial it in. You know, it's it's hard to the spectrum of what a producer is these days, I mean, it goes from making a beat and those guys are producers or like producing a product. And, you know, I guess you could call that executive producing or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like you're just part of the team to me, you know, and and one person can't do it all. And that's why a team is really important. We're not really managing. It's just kind of like, oh, I, I researched this and found out that this might work. What do you think? And then kind of getting that, you know, feedback. And he's not managed, he's self-managed, which is cool because he is able to kind of figure a lot of things out before jumping into a management contract and getting locked in with somebody that might not see that vision or have a different idea while he hasn't even fully developed his own character and idea and sound. And I think that's really important. It's kind of like learning your instrument correctly before teaching it perhaps, you know, or yeah, it's hard to kind of explain, but it's kind of a slow burn, but it it's cool to see the progress over the years and, you know, where, where he's come from, where he's gone and where we're going with this, because we're, we're all in this together. I kind of look at it as like another, like, sort of band where yeah. you know we're doing this like i'll grab the guitar and then you know robbie cooks up some hats and then uh 
homies writing some lyrics or <laughs> the opposite, you know, if everyone's kind of doing their thing and it's cool when it, it comes together and we're in the room and it just works. And then we have a tune and sometimes with that kind of music too, it's fun because sometimes it goes really fast and you have like three beats in a day. And then next time he comes, we knock out three tunes in, in another day or two on vocals and you know, with with rock music, it's it's a lot harder these days because the elements aren't as flashy. You know, the guitar sounds, they've kind of all been done. You can pick a new amp, but in context with banging drums and loud vocals and intense bass, you know, it's, it's like the songwriting makes it fresh or right. production elements make it fresh. And with trap music and stuff, it's, I feel like a little bit easier because I don't know the kick samples, snare, claps, snaps. You have so many more options than just your standard drum set and a bass and a guitar. You know, you have more elements. Right. Yeah. Well, I think like creatively, when it comes to that stuff too, one of the things that you said a little bit ago that I think is really, really important with all of that, especially when you're working with an artist and, and trying to make something new that none of you have made before in that way is trust. Like that's in any aspect, any part of your team, I think that's like the most important thing is trust. And it goes back again, I think, to what you were talking about earlier with just expanding a network and building relationships with people. Like that's kind of the clearest thing that I would take away from all of what you guys are doing is that yeah. you've built that trust and it it takes away any reason for people to butt heads creatively. Like you're all going towards the same goal and you all know that you're going towards the same goal. So I think that's, that's really key. And I also think it's really interesting when it comes to the crossover between genres. I mean, I remember back in the House of Loud days, we were driving around somewhere and we were talking about both of our love for pop music and yeah. pop songwriting and song structure and things like that. Um, can you talk about the parallels at all there between song structure or, or elements like that in rock and pop? Yeah, so the crossover is, it's definitely something that I personally love and also think is really important. A lot of like rock music that just kind of sounds the same, it's just not as, it's not as fun. You know, if you hear kind of the same riffs and structures that have been done, I think in music in general, it becomes a bit stale, you know? So I think the crossover is very important and you see it in all genres of music. I think, you know, especially in Latin music currently, like trap and hip hop slash pop because that kind of is pop music right now mm -hmm. those cadences and rhythms and melodies they're showing up in every genre latin you know you, you see bad bunny like he's got a fat latin beat going but he's pulling those triplets just like travis scott or quavo or whoever is and something that we try to do in, in fire from the gods is also to cross over those lines. And we have some verses on our new album that have 808s going on instead of a real bass. And then we have trap hats pretty much over a lot of the, the choruses, which isn't really new or like, it's, you know, it's not like I'm trying to say like we've 
pioneered any of that, but it's just like the freshness of kind of combining these elements, production elements, and then mainly it's really the vocals that, you know, if if the vocals kind of fall into the more modern lines, then you've done the crossover with vocals alone. Yeah, I think I think that's really interesting and something that Fire from the Gods has done really, really well, where it sounds just sounds right you know like you don't it's not even something that you necessarily listen to and you say oh cool like crossover between genres it just sounds that's just the song and it sounds right that's something (laughs) that jake and i have talked about a lot like jake with your songs just blending of genres and, and stuff like that right how do you go about doing that in a fresh way where it also feels natural is there any strategy for that or is it just kind of trying things and seeing what works. I think it's a combo of trying things and and seeing what works, but also kind of knowing what already works and then adding the other elements. So recently worked with a, a band from Ohio that they've kind of been doing the trap metal thing and came to us for, uh, you know, just to do, do our thing. And, Basically, you know, I ended up stripping out a lot of the metal elements, but still making these, like, for instance, certain verses are like full-on rap verses or trap verses. It's like you could, for instance, play a really heavy beat on the drum kit, okay? And then you just take that and transpose it to, like, DJ Mustard kick two and uh <laughs> cash money ap snare or clap number 11 and and it's you know it doesn't even matter what sound you choose i think the composition the heaviness that lies in the composition of the rhythm translates no matter what and then it's just forging those sounds and blending them to sonically make sense mm-hmm. that's like the trickier part but it's also really fun because, you know, we ended up, for instance, doing like some uh, filtered guitars or some fuzz layers of guitars with the 808. Or maybe there's like, a, you know, some Omnisphere bell patch playing kind of like a trap loop. And then the guitar lead on the chorus ends up playing that with a full band. So right. it's like you can definitely find that crossover and it's i think it is a lot of trying and then like i said it's just like certain things you know that are going to work you know like for instance on our last record the self-titled uh track uh, american sun it's uh robbie and i were just sitting there listening to cardi b we we're like <laughs> this is fat yeah i can already hear the guitars like it's just when it hits, it's like, man, I want a headbang, <laughs> you know, just it, in my weird head, just knowing like, oh, man, if that was a guitar and and I'm on my kit just laying into that fat of a beat, maybe that'll be a little different. And we tried it and it hits, you know, and it's it's fun live. Like it, it just sometimes I think you just have to try it. But you already know that Cardi B song slaps. So (laughs) it's undeniable that, you know, the tempo works, the snare placement works, and then maybe you toy around with the kicks and the the, obviously you find your own patterns and and melodies and stuff because you can't just rip somebody off completely. (laughs) But it's taking that inspiration. And I I do think 
that a lot of inspiration, you know, it's like diversify your inspiration and that'll help because sometimes when you get a little too comfy in like your own world and what you listen to, it's hard to try new things because you're kind of just like, I'm so in love with Led Zeppelin, I'm going to write Led Zeppelin riffs, but they have all been done, you know, it's... it's By Led Zeppelin. I, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'd say, you know, for me, like Greta Van Fleet, for instance, it's it's really cool to see like this revival of classic rock, but to me personally, there is nothing new I can grab. There's nothing I can take away from it because nobody sounds like Zeppelin. You can't get those recordings again. Mm-hmm. It's too clean now. It's too perfect now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like something may have been punched in. And I don't like that because I like that Bonham just held it down on the clock, you know? And I like that there's some imperfection and harshnesses in the vocals, you know? And now you could just slap Soothe on it and, you know, <laughs> take it out with one plug in and you're just like, cleaning things up and and I think that's the difference is like if you do find those unique vibes that's what will separate you and I th- I hear it a lot more in in modern trap music too it's like all about the vibe it's like these juice world songs yeah maybe he's singing like uh you know uh, a pop punk hook or something you know it sounds emo but there's still something in the production that separates it completely you know, it's not taking back Sunday playing the band playing in the background. It's it's like this hip hop producer that's really laying in on the vibe and finding that, you know, like Max Lord or whatever, whoever was working with him. And then Juice just doing his thing over the top of it that makes it so different and unique. And it creates that wave. And I think, you know, you see it a lot in the pop punk right now. Guys like Trippy Red doing the complete fusion of pop punk emo vocals but his lyrics are still hard you know it's like that's that's that that's that shit you know it's like <laughs> that's what separates i think is like finding the unique twist to your personal interpretation of what you're influenced by yeah i i mean i think that's one of the big things that i see when i see artists who are quote unquote influenced by like one specific artist where you can say, okay, like they are trying to do the blank thing. Like that's one of the things where I just, I just want to like shout at them, like stop, like just open, (laughs) open up to other things because you're not going to be the next to be the next, whatever is not a thing. You have to be you. And you do that by drawing multiple influences, combining influences. What would you say is the biggest mistake that you see artists or bands making in general that you wish you could just yell stop that at them like this would be your chance to to yell at them (laughs) i think exactly what you just said it's like trying to be somebody else and i think that goes like it's like a life philosophy you know and Mm -hmm. shit man i don't know you know i'm i'm young in the game so to say and and you know i'm i don't know anything there's so much more to learn all the time and i think that's really it's like you just have to like be you. You can't be somebody else. You know, you can envy people or want 
certain things. I, I definitely, you know, sometimes you got to catch yourself and you see like, oh man, this producer is only 23 and he's like, he's got all the placements. But at the end of the day, that's not me. So then, you know, it's like, you just can't stress on that. I think that's like what I've been learning a lot too for myself. It's like you, you get in those mindsets of like, damn, man, like this guy's just killing it doing I've had that. so much of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think all of us, every musician, every producer, mixer, editing, it's all the same. I mean, even to anyone that's at college for accounting or, any, you know, it's like you mm -hmm. look up to somebody and you're like, damn, I want to do that. But I think what separates is I want to do that, but I want to do that with me with who I am and in my way. I, I think that's why like our band kind of, it, it just works because we're, we, we never sit down and, and, you know, we're like, okay, we're going to write like a, a day to remember song or, uh, you know, we really want to be the next in flames or, you know, it, it just doesn't work. I, I don't know. It, I can't ever get that in my head because The second I do, then it does sound, it ends up sounding like that. And I've written tons of songs where at the end of it, I'm like, man, I, I can just hear the influence <laughs> is too strong. You know, there's something yeah. maybe too on the nose. And then you take the step back or maybe even trash it, you know. But yeah, it's just originality. That's what'll keep the needle moving, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I think one really cool thing that's going on right now in the music industry that contributes to that is collaboration and just the availability of collaboration across big distances that just has so much potential to break people out of that kind of thing. I feel like the single influence copying an artist is kind of a product sometimes of being too isolated. Like you're, mm -hmm. you have what you listen to, you have what you really like, but if it's all you, that's when those things start to come out. And I think that with, with people kind of getting together and even doing like one-off collaborations for a song, like that's a really cool thing. For you who, as a person who's got kind of like an inside look at a big chunk of the music industry with BMG and stuff like that, where do you see things headed over the next few years on an industry-wide basis? Like what's changing that you see going forward? Ooh, man, it's a, it's a broad question because everything's changing right now. I think, you know, f knowing that touring is at a halt, knowing that everything is really different. The emotions put into music is very different right now too. And I think the, the biggest thing that's changing or, you know, will keep changing is where to take influence from. And I think you made a really good point with collaboration that that's extremely important and valuable because again, it's, yeah, you can't, you just can't do everything all by yourself. It's really hard. And there are some guys out there that, that do that really well. But I do think that, you know, collaborations are going to be more of a, a thing, especially with bands. You know, it's kind of, I think that's been going on for a while. You know, back in the day, it's like having outside writers was like such a big no because oh, you're yeah. like, <laughs> oh, I love this band because they're all like heroes, you know, and like geniuses. <laughs> and yeah, but, you know, it, it's like, it doesn't always work like that. 
There's no like formula to it. I love handing off the guitar in a writing session, you know, and having somebody lay it down and then just being blown away and having that exciting feeling of music all over again. And I think that's like a big change that's going to happen. It's just like, yeah, without being social, without meeting people, without eavesdropping on people's conversation at the the cafe or at a restaurant, you know, or having these social interactions, it's difficult to to have influence sometimes. Mm. Especially lyrically, I think it's it's hard because you're not around all these people. You're just reading what everyone else is reading. Right. <laughs> you know, or or watching what everyone else is watching and I, that's just what I see. I think emotions and how they translate via the music and lyrics are going to be changing a lot. Mm. I don't know exactly how. I don't think anyone quite has that answer yet. But yeah, I, I was talking to um a film composer the other day, his name's Luke Richards, and he's scored for like the Last Born movie. He's done some of the rock movies and stuff like that. He was one of Hans Zimmer's, uh, uh, he, he worked under him in LA for quite some time. And I was talking to him because, you know, we, we met through family. So, you know, there's kind of like a, a friendship there that's quite nice to catch up every once in a while. And he was also saying, yeah, I'd, I got out of London. I, I'm just... I'm hanging out. I'm I'm not as inspired and but it's hard, you know, everyone. I think everyone is having kind of a difficult time to find that similar inspiration. It's like the same inspiration that is lacking for all the bands that can't tour and right. feel that stage rattling and and see people's immediate reaction of like how the groove is is it making them dance? Is it making them feel something? Is it making them laugh or cry or shout or whatever it is you know that's the hard part mm. is not getting the reaction i think that's putting a stump on a lot of people other people are totally you know fired up and keep it going and i mean for myself i, I kind of i guess some people will say you can't force creativity i think you can always make something happen might not always be the best but as long as you put in those hours and keep working, eventually something cool will come out. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everything you said from like a, especially like a COVID standpoint, like, I don't know, it, it's it's hard for a lot of people still. And I don't know, it, it looks like things are going to be beginning to get better. Like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm wondering like, what's what's your biggest hope, I guess, for the music industry going forward post COVID? Like what's the thing that, when we come out on the other end of it, we can look back and say like, okay, we had a hard time for this year and a half or whatever it ends up being, but we ended up with this on the other end. So it was all worth it. I think there's going to be an explosion of live music. Live music revival. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the whole band aesthetic and, and f band feeling is going to have a big come back because you know I, I do think that music kind of it's a little bit more isolated now you know it's like all about the artists or or the producer and mainly in the pop and hip-hop world I guess but being in a band I, I don't think is like as cool as maybe when when we were kids you know like 20 30 years ago 
it was like such an insanely cool thing, you yeah. know, being a, a bunch of dudes and you're hanging out and making music and jamming and stuff like that's the best, you know, yeah. to me still, it's like, that's the best feeling. Like even seeing an orchestra holding it together or a choir, like it's, it's just amazing. It's live. It's happening in the moment and it sounds incredible. And that's something you just, you don't get in the studio. You don't get that from a CD. You just don't. Right. And I think people miss it. I miss it. I miss watching all these bands on tour every night. Yeah. I miss seeing the reaction. I miss everyone sweating uncontrollably <laughs> in a terribly hot room. Yeah. And, you know, I miss my arms almost falling off playing a, a, a set. You know, those are the things I think humans love that, the social aspect of life. We've been stripped of it. So when it comes back, I think it's going to come back really, really hard. And I'm just excited for it. I'm excited to see live music. I think, you know, even like coming back to uh, Nate Vickers, the artist that I'm working with, it's so hard to push your songs and not be able to go play a pop-up show or a showcase in general. You know, it's like this kind of organic promotion that you just don't get via Facebook ads or a music video or a lyric video or a little like studio performance. It's not the same. You don't get to connect with your fans at the merch table. You know, I don't get to pop out and or text you, Kobe, and say, hey, we're in, <laughs> you know, we're in your area like next week. Like, let's hang. You know, it's it's not happening right now. So, yeah, see all that coming back times two. I agree. I, I That's my hope also. I also I'm with you on the hope for bands, too, and that being forced to be separate from people in general will help musicians kind of rediscover the feeling of being in a band and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Cause I I'm in the same boat. Like that was always the coolest thing. And one of the things that I look back on is like the best parts of like my early stages in music and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Well, Richie, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to talk with us and drop some knowledge on our listeners. And I'm, Really glad that we got this opportunity to catch up because it's been too long since we talked to each other. Yeah, definitely. It's it's great to catch up and so to say talk shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's cool to to hear everyone, you know, I think we're all in the same boat. We all want to collab again and, and get out there. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much. Richie, thanks for coming uh, and doing the podcast, brother. We loved having you. And I think the biggest thing that crossed my eardrums was putting in those extra hours that really resonated with me. And I would, I would say that that really separates the people that really want it from those that don't, I guess. <laughs> yep. Skip the party, man. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Just eyes on the prize and then party when you get that prize. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And also to all the listeners out there, all the artists who are listening, go check out Fire From The Gods to hear a lot of the stuff that we talked about today, a lot of those influences and things like that. And just think about ways that you can apply that to your own music, obviously not copying <laughs> that, <laughs> but pulling those influences. And also keep your eyes peeled for more from Nate Vickers as Richie helps launch him. I'm excited to see what develops out of that. So uh, good luck with with everything you've got going on. And thank you so much. Yeah. 
Yeah, vice versa. Thank you. Thank you both. And that's all we've got for you on this episode. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Self-Signed Artist. Peace. Peace out, people.